Fresh manna fell to the ground as a gift from God while the Israelites were in the wilderness. This is what they ate for 40 years. It was fresh from the ovens of heaven, baked by the master baker himself. How the Israelites must have anticipated the taste and the smell of each morning's delivery. Just like the Israelites, you too can now experience the taste and smell of fresh manna. Today you will be listening to Phil Mills, pastor of Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. And now, here's Pastor Phil. Happy Sabbath. It is good to see you all here this morning. What do you say, church? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. I resonated with what Marion said. There are some weeks where you're just really glad that it's Sabbath. I think we're always glad that it's Sabbath, but there's some where it's like, I haven't breathed all week. <sighs> I'm going to take a breath now. It's Sabbath. And we're here to worship God. Well, we are going to study God's Word, so I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me as we ask the Lord to guide us as we open His Word. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to come together and to worship you. What a joy it is to be able to have the freedom, which many people in this world today do not have, to gather, to study, and to meditate. Father, we want to be taught of Jesus today. And so we ask right now, as we're ushered into your omnipotent throne room, that right at this moment, angels that excel in light will press close to this sanctuary, that you will banish, in Jesus' name, Satan and his angels from having any access. Oh, Holy Spirit, move on our hearts. Teach us from your word. May we leave with a greater understanding and appreciation of your love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let everyone say, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. As a reminder, we've been studying through the Ten Commandments as a church. Of course, we've had a few weeks that we've taken off, so it's taken us just a little bit to get through them. But we've been meditating on what lessons God has for us in these powerful beautiful ways of living. We spent time on the first four looking at how we can build a deeper and closer relationship with Christ. And last week we talked about the fifth commandment, the first commandment of the next six that deal with how we can build close, loving relationships with those around us. And we talked about how it's interesting God starts off when He's laying how we love our brothers and sisters. He starts with understanding of how to relate with authority. That's very interesting to me. We spent, I'm not going to go back into that sermon today, but it's something that's been on my mind for a while. How we interact with authority, that's where God starts. And He starts right with the first place that all of us had authority, and that's in the home. Your parents. That's your first understanding of authority. And He says, honor them. We went through that in heaven, things are the opposite of earth. The higher you are in heaven, the more you serve people. The lower you are in heaven, the more you respect those who are over you. We talked about how important it is as we would become like Jesus that we do everything we can to mirror Him and serve those around us. Service is so important. And husbands, we talked specifically to you for just a little bit that yes, God has called you to be the husband, the head, and the priest of your home, but that is a calling to serve your family. 
Well, today we move into the next commandment, the sixth commandment. Are you there in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13? It's a very long reading. Reading together. You shall not murder. You know, this commandment is so important that God says those who break this commandment will make it into heaven. Go with me to Exodus, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to be looking there in verse 14 and 15. Revelation chapter 22, verse 14 and 15. When you're there, if you let the preacher know by saying amen. I hear those pages turning. It is a blessed sound to hear people opening their Bibles to study God's Word. Are you there? Notice what it says. Blessed are those who do His, what's that next word there, church? Commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the what? City. Now, just in case you've misunderstood, who is the one that gives us the right to be able to enter the city of God? Who is it? Jesus says, I am the door. No one comes to the Father but by... So the only way we get into heaven is through Jesus. But in Jesus, He gives us victory to keep His commandments. What do you say? And as we allow Him to give us that victory and we become victorious in Christ and we live the righteous, holy life, then it is that we get permission to enter into the city. Notice verse 15. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral. And what's that next word there? murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, he lists several commandments there. John does in Revelation. But he points out the one we're looking at here. The murderers will not be allowed into heaven. Well, I can hear someone sit back and say, well, pastor, it's good news. I have never killed anyone. Good. I'm glad you haven't. But the Ten Commandments deal with more than just the action. See, a lot of times we read the commandments and we think, oh, action, great, don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor. But God, when he wrote them, Jesus specifically, when he wrote the Ten Commandments, was very much specifically focusing not just on the action, but the Ten Commandments are dealing with what happens up in our minds. Don't believe me? Let's look at a couple verses together to kind of lay this out. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. You see, God isn't, yes, God is concerned about what we do, but God is far more concerned about what's going on inside yours and my mind and my heart. What he cares about is where are you at in your thinking? What is happening inside of your heart? Because church, the reality is what we think determines who we become. How you think, what you process has a tremendous impact on the man or the woman you will be in the future. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. Are you there? Notice what it says. Solomon is talking here in a list of things about what to do with with different people. And then he says this very incredible thought right at the beginning of verse 7. For as he thinks in his heart, what? So is he. And then he goes on to talk about eat and drink, he says, but his heart is not with you. He's dealing with people in hospitality and a number of other pieces that we don't have time to get into. But Solomon points this very specific. As he thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think, what happens in your mind determines who you will become. 
And the commandment we're looking at is far more than just worrying about whether you physically murder someone. It's worrying about what happens in your mind. Now, there's one more verse we've got to look at to pull this together. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19. The point we're looking at as we move to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19 is this. It starts in the mind. Whatever you're going to be, it starts in the mind. The battle over humanity is in the mind. The battle right now between good and evil angels in your life is in your mind. I don't think we can stress this enough. We get so stuck on the actions of what we're supposed to do, but what God cares about is the thinking that led to the action that led to the brokenness. We are so worried about making sure that You know, I dress up really nice when I come into church or I carry myself in a certain way or I always smile when people talk to me or I have the right answer when I'm asked a certain question or, hey, if you were to check off all the things that are going on in my life, it would be okay. But what Jesus is worried about is what's going on inside your heart. Remember Paul, he's returning there to Matthew. Paul talks about how he was of the strictest sect of the Pharisees. He thought he had it all together and he could check off every single list, but he found out that God wasn't worried about his actions. God was worried about Paul's heart and Paul's heart was far from Jesus. Are you with me? What God wants is a people whose hearts are in love with Jesus. And the commandment we're looking at is dealing with what's going on inside our minds. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19. Let's read that together. Notice what it says. Let's start in verse 18. Jesus is talking here about the washing of hands and the ceremonialism. The scribes and Pharisees thought that if you didn't wash your hands appropriately, you had a problem. In fact, if you go today to the weeping wall there in Jerusalem, I've been there, and you go to the bathroom facilities they have, these special utensils for washing, it wasn't so much about hygiene, it was about a ceremony that you needed to do before eating. Jesus isn't saying to be non-hygienic, that's not the point here. But notice verse 18. Christ's nails were the messed up things that happen in our lives come from. But those things which would proceed out of the mouth come from the what? And they defile a man. Then in verse 19, he nails this even again. For out of the what, church? Heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies. Where does murder come from? It comes from the what? The heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What happens inside here is reflected in what I do. By their fruits, you shall know them. You want to know who someone is? Watch what they do. Now, we have to be careful with this. It's not our job to judge someone's heart. But if we see someone that's going around and cutting down people or or treating people in a disrespectful way, or in any other way, interacting wrongly, we can know that there's a brokenness inside of them that needs healing. The thinking needs to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what all of us need, because church, all of us are broken. It'd be easy for me to sit here and say, well, yeah, you know what, that person over there, I can't stand how they interact with X, Y, or Z, or with me. But the reality is that I need Jesus to change my life and so do you. What do you say? We need to be converted. What does this mean, this thinking? 
as we continue meditating on Thou Shalt Not Murder. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 5, actually take your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let's now start unpacking this in the context of murder. When we were in Germany shooting Light Unshackled, we also went to Poland. We spent some time at the concentration camps where the Jews had been held. One of the most moving experiences of my life was being in these places where millions of human beings were treated like animals, slaughtered indiscriminately, horribly tortured, and then etc. I don't want to go into too much detail here. Very moving. Heartbreaking. And one of the questions that you're brought face to face with when you watch this is, how can a whole society allow this to happen? How can they support it? How can they vote for this? How can they go down this road? And as you begin to study, there are some books we bought while we were there, and I read those books later and tried to understand how a society could move down that road. There's something that began to come out clearly as I looked into this more. They didn't start with the concentration camps. They started years earlier with changing the way people think. And by changing the way they think about people around them, they could slowly move them to the point where they felt justified or felt okay with how they treated a sect of the society. It started by this idea that the propaganda machines would try to convince the population that the Jews were secretly out to get all of their money or control them in some way and were part of these elite secret societies. And so people began to, no longer did they see their neighbor as just their neighbor, they started seeing them as someone who might be trying to hurt them, or if they lost their job, now they're blaming a sect of people instead of saying, hey, I just lost my job. When their money wasn't doing as well, or other things, the propaganda machine was saying, hey, it's someone else's fault. This group of people, they're to blame for why you're going wrong. Does this sound familiar? Is that not happening today? On both sides. We have the left saying, the right, you've got to be careful about them. They've got all these, that's why, you know, they're out to get us. And you've got the right saying, the left is out to get us. And it's the same thing happening today, church. It's the mind trying to be changed in how it's thinking until we hate each other instead of loving each other. Then they moved on to the next step. After they convinced everyone that they had taken it away, then... And these two connections just really don't make sense together. But then the next step was to, well, the Jews aren't really human. They're kind of subhuman. They're not as elevated as we are. We are the higher race. We need to reclaim it. And so now they begin to shift them from being a human that's taking advantage of you to someone who's not really human. And so you now begin to disconnect the human sympathy that you're supposed to have. Again, it's the mind. They're changing how they think. And then they move from that to we need to protect you from these subhumans that aren't able to protect you. And so then they begin to move them into concentrated areas and then they begin to ship them to concentration camps. And by then, the change of thinking over 10 years had shifted so much that a society could mil- kill, murder millions of people because they changed the way they thought. Lord, save us from having our thinking destroyed. All the evils of the Holocaust began in the mind. Today, I think the same thing is happening. In church, 
we are in danger of allowing that same thinking to happen in our own minds. To be influenced by the society we're in instead of saying faithful and true to the mind and the thinking from Jesus Christ. What is that thinking that Jesus has? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Are you there? You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not what? Now it's interesting, Jesus is quoting the sixth commandment. Jesus wrote it. So he's quoting who? Himself. When he wrote the commandment, what he's doing here in the Sermon on the Mount is he's saying you missed the point. The commandment was the result of wrong thinking. You were supposed to see the result and work backwards and say, I must have my mind changed so that the result will never happen. So now he's going to explain it to us because as humans, we're so dense. You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be in danger of the judgment. Now notice verse 22. This is very convicting. But I say to you that whoever is what? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have had anger? With his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. Let's just pause there for a moment. We hear Raka and we're like, okay, yeah, what does that mean? That basically, literally translated, empty-headed. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have thought someone's an airhead? That's what Christ is literally referring to. We laugh. But it's also very serious. Continuing on in the verse. But whoever says you what? Shall be in danger of hellfire. Continues on, verse 26. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has what? Something against you. What does it mean to bring your gift to the altar? It's coming to worship. Specifically, bringing offering and tithe while you're coming to worship. If you come here today, praise God you're here, amen? But if God has brought you here and you're sitting here and you know that there is someone in your life that they have something against you or you have something against them, there's tension in that relationship. Jesus says that before you give your gift to Him, go make it right. That's hard to do. It's not something I naturally want to do. Pastor, you don't understand what they've done to me. You're right, I don't, but Jesus does. He has experienced worse than any human being will ever experience in the way of being treated wrong. What does he say? Keep your finger here in Matthew 5. We're going to come back, but let's go over to Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. What does Jesus say is he's literally being nailed to a cross by the men he came to save who have beat him, spit on him, mockingly worshipped him. The highest insults that any human being could bring have been leveled against him. And notice what Jesus says, our example, the one who will help you and I do the same thing. He says this, verse 34, reading together, then Jesus said, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. What does Jesus say? Father, what? Forgive. Now, that's hard. 
But in the grace of Jesus Christ, we can learn how to forgive. Why is this so important? Because anger comes from a place of hurt, insecurity, and brokenness. Oftentimes, it comes from a place of lack of forgiveness. Not always, but oftentimes it comes from a place of struggling to forgive, of thinking that I need to right a wrong that's been done to me or to someone else. We talked about this last week, though. Here's the question. Who's the one who rights every wrong? Me or God? What does God say? Vengeance is mine. What? I will repay. I must put it into God's hands and leave it there before His throne and let Him address the problem and go forth trusting that my God will right every wrong. What does Christ say back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 24? Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. Then what does He say? First, be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. He continues on, verse 25, agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you pay the last penny. Jesus is laying out how we are supposed to operate. The way we live our lives is not to be vindictive. Now, you may be sitting here and saying, wow, pastor, this is really hitting me. I'm not preaching at you. That's the Holy Spirit trying to help you. You may struggle with anger. Jesus can give you freedom from that anger. What do you say? It may take some very painful and personal work between you and God on your knees, but that work is worth it because Jesus is changing the way you think. There may be a time in that process where you feel like the very person that you have been is being denied. The very essence of how you identified yourself is being torn apart. But church, that's okay if my brokenness is how I've identified and Jesus is changing me to identify to His holiness. That's where we got to live. I don't want my broken identity to be how I identify. I'm saved in Jesus. That's where we got to live. So what do we do? Keep on going there to verse 38 of Matthew 5. What do we replace the anger with? You can't just say, I'm not going to be angry, and that's it. Nature abhors a vacuum, and the anger will come right back. In the process of gaining the victory over anger, you have to replace it with love. And Jesus describes how that love looks like. Notice verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist a what? But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, do what? Now that is not something I do naturally. I read a story this last week. Someone posted a story about how they were in downtown New York and they, a robber came up to try to steal money from them and, and, you know, pulled out a gun and was like, hey, I'm here to take your money. And the guy's like, oh yeah, here, take it. Beard, you're probably going to need this jacket because it's kind of cold this evening. You want this as well. And the guy looked at him really weird. He's like, man, what's wrong with you? He's like, I just want to show you the love of Jesus. And he's like, you're hungry. You want me to take you somewhere to eat? And it broke that man's heart. Turn the other cheek. That's not natural. 
but we're here to be controlled by Jesus, not me. Continuing on, verse 40. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you what? Read it with me. Do not turn away. Church, this is very anti how humans live. We don't live this way. Now, I must be clear. I must add one qualifier. We are not to enable those who are stuck in addictions by giving them money that they will use to empower that addiction. Are you with me? But we should come alongside them and help them in ways that they will see the love of Jesus and also gain the victory if they're willing over the addiction that they're fighting. So we've got to keep all of this understood in the context of what we're looking at, but it's truly living like Jesus. It's forgiving and brokenness and allowing Jesus to change our lives. You see, if Germany had accepted the message of thinking, Auschwitz would never have happened. Because the actions, the outward of thinking. And if our church this morning will allow Jesus to change how we think, we'll become one of the most powerful lights in this community. But we have to allow Jesus to do that work. It's not something that we can pass a policy and say, we're now going to be like this. It's not that. It is the Holy Spirit individually working on every heart and mind here and on the live stream and allowing Jesus to put love in the place of hate and forgiveness in the place of bitterness. I want to look at one other verse here and then we'll have a story I want to share with you. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. Hebrews chapter 12. Paul is breaking this concept down. And notice what he says when you're there. You can say amen. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Pursue peace with how many people? And holiness. Notice Paul puts those two together. Peace and holiness go together. Without which no one will see the Lord. Full stop right there before we read the next verse. Let that sink in. Pursue peace with how many people? Without that peace will we see Jesus. Does that include everyone but those who have massively, massively hurt me? How many are we supposed to pursue peace with? Verse 15. Why? Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any... What's that next word there? Root of bitterness springing up caused trouble, and by this many became... Defiled. A lot of people who struggle with all kinds of things in their lives, it really many times stems from a root of bitterness. Maybe you struggle with anger. Ask the Lord to show you if there's bitterness that's leading you to be angry that you've never dealt with. Maybe you struggle with addiction. Ask the Lord if there's bitterness that you've never dealt with that's manifesting over here. I'm not saying because you have an addiction. Or because you have anger, it's bitterness. But I'm saying a root 
is the base of a plant out of which many branches can come. Ask God, is this one of the roots in your life that needs to be uprooted to give you freedom from these areas? I want to end with a story. It's a story that oftentimes, the few times that I've read it, it almost moves me to tears. Comes out of Pennsylvania, 2006. It's written by a lady by the name of Terry Roberts. She's the mother in this story. On October 1st, 2006, Terry Roberts' son and daughter-in-law and their grandkids came over and had a meal with them and had a wonderful time together. She noticed her son was strangely quiet. They left and she didn't know that was the last time she would see her son alive again. The next day at work, she got a frantic call from her husband. You need to come to the kid's house right away, their son and daughter-in-law's house. She jumped in the car and flew down the road to get there. And on her way, she heard on the radio that there had been a shooting at a school and 10 people had passed away. When she got there, she found out that it was her son who had done it to the Amish families. She fell on the ground and just began to weep in a fetal position, couldn't believe it. Her husband had been the chief of police for 30 years in that area. He was broken. They go home. Say Her husband was sitting at the table just sobbing. She had never seen him this broken in all of their years of marriage. He's like, we've got to move away. We'll never be able to show our faces around here. We've devastated our neighbors. I can't believe our son hurt people so, so bad. And as they're there, just shattered and broken, she sees their neighbor, an Amish gentleman, one of those who had had relatives who had died, walking across the field with his straw hat and black visiting suit. He walks across, comes up to the door, and knocks on the door. Now, if you were her, what would you think? You'd be a little nervous to answer the door. She opens the door and his face radiated compassion and love. He asked if he could come in and wanted to speak to her husband. So she let him come in. He came over. And I'll read to you what he said. Walking over to my husband, Chuck, he put one hand on his shoulders. The first word I heard him speak took my breath away. Roberts, that was their name. We love you. This was not your doing. You must not blame yourselves. For more than an hour, Henry stood by my husband, consoling him and affirming his love and forgiveness. Here's the man who's had his own family taken away from him by death, and he's over comforting the father of the man who did it. Chuck kept saying we had to move away from the people, and Charlie, the Amish gentleman, kept saying no. We've forgiven you. We don't hold this against you. The devil used your boy, but you are okay. By the time he left, my husband was sitting up straighter. Some of the burden eased from his shoulders. To this day, I call Henry my angel in black clothing. But he wasn't the only one. The next day, 
It was a handful of the Amish families that had lost children in that school, made their way over to the wife of the husband who had done this and her parents, and they gathered around them, wrapped their arms around them, and said, we're here to forgive you, and we love you, and they wept with them. At the funeral, when the news media was all there to take pictures, the funeral for the man who had done this atrocity, the news media wanted to get all of these pictures. About 30 Amish came out from behind a barn and stood as a human barrier to give the family privacy as they grieved. A lot of money was raised to help these families, and the Amish insisted that this wife who had lost her husband in the atrocity that he had done, they insisted that she also get funds because she had lost a husband and her children had lost a father. And they kept saying over And over again, forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice, and we choose to forgive you. At the funeral, I want to read what she says happened after they'd been that human block and everything was over and now they were starting to disperse. I held on to my composure as our Amish guests stepped forward to express their condolences on the loss of our son. Among the first to approach us were Chris and Rachel Miller, whose daughter Lena and Mary Liz had died in their arms at our son's behest. Murmur a greeting to Chuck and me, they added softly, we're so sorry for your loss. Sorry for our loss. I could barely choke out a response. Our hard son had taken the lives of their daughter, and here they were comforting us. In a moment of sudden healing clarity forgiveness, To me, it came clearly to my mind, forgiveness is a choice. The Amish had made it very clear, but now I knew what it meant. Forgiveness is not a feeling. These sweet parents who were as grief-stricken as I was, their hearts broken like mine, I did not have to stop feeling anger, hurt, or utter bewilderment at the horrific decision that Charlie, their son, had made. I only had to make a choice to forgive. And I understood the other part of what the Amish had said. If we cannot forgive, how can we be forgiven? She goes on, and I'll end here. I'm not a murderer, but I have committed wrongs as well. And I was forgiven, haven't we all? How can I in turn not offer the forgiveness I've received, even to my own son, especially to my own son? Church, thou shalt not murder, starts in the mind. And it begins with forgiving. Begins with a different way of thinking. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's time for the appeal. There's someone here today. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to you very hard through this whole sermon. He has been personally calling you. You need to forgive. And you've been wrestling throughout this entire sermon because you don't think they deserve to be forgiven. What they've done to you is horribly wrong on every level. 
The Lord wants to remind you that vengeance is His. He'll take care of that. But for your sake, forgive the person who's done this to you. In the silence of this sanctuary, will you ask Jesus to help you to forgive? Father in heaven, You know the brokenness of each of us. You know better than anyone else the tremendous pain that some of us are carrying in this room. The concept of forgiveness is hard when it hurts so much. But I'm thankful that you help us to forgive. I'm thankful that you restore Just now, speak to each one here. Forgiveness, hope, and grace. We surrender to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to Phil Mills, pastor of Lansing Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you enjoyed this sermon, why not visit his church this coming Sabbath or a church near you listed on strongtowerradio.org. You will find the church at 5400 West St. Joe Highway in Lansing, Michigan, and their church service begins at 1050 a.m. Access their website at lansingadventist.org. This program has been a Strong Tower Radio production.